0: Father, we do thank You for the privilege of having Your Word written for us to read, for us to hold in our hands, Lord, so that we can, um, by Your grace, we can own our own copy, Lord, uh, so that we can read the revelation that You have given us, the way in which You've made Yourself known to man. Lord, the danger, obviously, in our situation is just taking this privilege for granted. So we pray that You guard us from that, Father. We pray that You turn our hearts in such a way that we treasure Your Word. Lord, that we love Your Word, like David said, and that we are diligent to hide it in our heart. And Lord, that we are diligent to Make it available to others, not only in our country where it is already so available, but in other places where uh, they may have never even seen a copy. We're thankful for groups like the Gideons and others as well who are so determined to get uh, the Bible out there and to get it into different languages. And Lord, we pray and and whatever whatever role we can play to that end, we we pray, use us. Use us. And Lord, tonight as we consider this uh, portion of Your Word and what uh, You have to say here, we ask as always that You open our hearts and minds to it, to Your truth, grant understanding. Use it, Lord, to change us, to make us holy for our good and for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Okay, we're well just a, a few minutes here and we did, we went through this this morning. So uh, I just wanted to come back to this a little bit and I thought this might work out good um, with the schedule we were working with tonight. so. I want us to go back and remember again, this is Jesus', um, Jesus discussion with the, with the Jews after healing the man at Bethesda. And uh, of course, the question is his identity. Uh, they've accused him of making himself equal with God. And uh, even though he doesn't um, explicitly say guilty as charged, <laughs> I, think, I think that he more or less does say that in everything that he says here. So we've seen that he's talked about his, his power and authority um, in submission to the Father. He says, I don't do anything of my own initiative, but here's what I do. The Father shows me all things, and I do what the Father does. And just like a father, I have power to give life to whomever I will. And then he goes on to say he's going to judge in the last day. He grants life now, the dead hear His voice and are granted eternal life, they're raised to life now, and He will raise the dead in the future at the last day. Verses 28 and 29. Some to the resurrection of life, believers obviously, those who do good, and some to the resurrection of judgment, unbelievers. And then as we saw this morning, he begins to talk about the different witnesses that bear testimony to his identity. The Father bears testimony. I think that's who he's referring to in verse uh, 31 and 32 when he says, There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. And he'll talk more about that. But first he goes to John the Baptist and talks about the testimony that John the Baptist bears regarding his identity. And that testimony, of course, was made public to all those who would listen in his day. And then, a little further down, he says, "...even the works that I do bear testimony." Verse 36, he says, "...the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish..." The very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And again he says in verse 37, The Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, His form you've never seen. And you do not have His Word abiding in you. And then he gets to what I want us to think about tonight. And Richard's already been helpful here in setting this up, talking about the importance of God's Word and getting it out there. Jesus says in verse 39, and I want to kind of bring these um, few verses together, verse 39 and verses 46 and 47. He says in verse 39, You search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about Me. Now there, of course, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament. And he even acknowledges that the Jews were diligent in searching the Scripture because they thought that they contained life. Well, that is true, but they missed the main point of the Scripture. So Jesus says, you search the Scriptures because you think in them you have life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So as I said this morning, the, the whole of what we call the Old Testament, the whole of Scripture, the Old Testament, bears witness or testifies concerning Jesus. That is, Jesus is the subject, not just of a few verses here and there, scattered throughout the Old Testament. You've got a messianic prophecy here and a messianic prophecy over there. It's true, those are there. But, but that's, that's not all of it. The whole of the Old Testament. Jesus is the subject of the whole of the Old Testament. It is all looking to Him, pointing to Him. I think that's what He's saying when He says the Scriptures bear witness about Me. Now, in verse 46, uh, well, let me start in verse 45. He says, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Now, He's already said He's going to be the judge at the last day, but now He tells them, Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, of whom you, on whom you have set your hopes. So now he's talking about Moses as a witness. Now I said this morning, all of these basically boil down to the testimony of God. That is, God sometimes uses direct testimony, speaks from the heavens. This is my son, in whom I'm well pleased, and sometimes indirect. He speaks through a prophet like John the Baptist, or in this case, Moses, or through Actions, through deeds, works. Jesus said, the very works that I do testify. But again, ultimately that's the testimony of God. Now, that's what Jesus is saying here about Moses. You've set your hope on Moses, but Moses testified of me. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your trust, your hope verse forty six for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? That's an amazing statement. There's kind of a parallel passage in Luke sixteen, the story of Lazarus and the rich man, and you probably know the story, the rich man um, dies, and immediately he's taken. Uh, into torment. And he cries out for just a drop of water on his tongue to Abraham. He's talking to Abraham. Can't get that. Abraham says, there's a gulf fixed between us. I can't come to you. You can't come to me. So, in the end, realizing that all hope is lost for himself, he says, well, look, I've got five brothers. At least send someone back to warn my brothers so that they don't wind up in this place. And Abraham says, they have Moses and the prophets. And if they won't hear Moses and the prophets, then they won't believe someone who's raised from the dead. If they won't believe the Scripture, that's what Abraham was saying, then they won't believe someone who is raised from the dead. That's what Jesus is saying. If you don't believe the writings of Moses, you're not going to believe my words either. Now think about that for a moment. There's a testimony. And really it's 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 throughout all of scripture. But of course that becomes more obvious in the New Testament. Um and Jesus here, New Testament hasn't been written, so he's speaking specifically about the Old Testament. So there's a testimony there about Jesus in the Old Testament. That's just Think about this for a moment. How did this? How did this? Y'all remember the prologue? How did this gospel start out? It started out with some very familiar words, didn't it? In the, beginning the word. in the beginning, Yes, the ones I'm looking for there. But in the beginning was the word, which which is there's a correlation, and it's not a coincidence. John uses the words in the beginning. I mean that that would have, it's, it's kind of like we we're this morning we were talking about. John 3.16, in Sunday school, and how familiar people are with it. Well, if you had said those three words, in the beginning, with a Jewish audience, they would have immediately thought of Genesis 1.1. That's no coincidence. In the beginning. In the beginning, God. So, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was the Logos. And the Logos was with God. The Logos was God. So He was in the beginning before everything else was made. He was already there. Everything else, at that point where everything else comes into being, He already was. And He was face to face with God. With, that's the idea there, the word with. In the beginning, the Word was face to face with God. And, if that wasn't enough, in the beginning, the Word was divine. He's God. And you see that. That is the Word in the beginning. You see it in Genesis. You go back to Genesis. In fact, uh, I'll just give you a couple of verses from there. But you go back to Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created. Well, how did He create? He spoke, right? The Word. So, for example, verse 3 says, Genesis 1-3, And God said... And verse 6 says it again. And God said. And verse 9 says it again. And God said. In verse 11, and God said. And verse 14, and God said. In verse 20, and God said. In verse 24, and God said. In verse 26, where He creates man, and God said. So there, in the very beginning, you have God. You have God's Word. So you see, uh, Jesus, who we know later, You read the Gospel of John. He Is the Word become flesh? God in the flesh. Now, there's something taking place then, already in the very beginning of the Bible. Already Jesus is in view. God's doing something. And there's really more to it than that. I mean, things are are moving. It's not just that He's there, but things are moving in a direction. So God creates, and we're told in verse 24, that He creates man in His own image. God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. So He creates man in His own image and you've got little likenesses of God now. And He gives a mandate and authority. Let them have dominion. And then He says in verse 28, to the man, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And the idea there is fill the earth with little images of God so that the glory of God covers the face of the earth. That's what we're here for. To image God's glory. And God's intention from the start. That's so why every time I, you know, I hear about these people panicking about about uh, You don't hear it so much anymore. You used to. But uh, you hear people panicking about the earth becoming overpopulated. Well, there's a lot of room, number one, for, for more. Uh, but, but that's what God said. Fill the earth. That's, one, that's why Satan fights that so hard. That's the mandate we were given. So God creates man in His own image and there's, there's a fellowship between... God and His creation. Not just creation in general, but I mean a a special fellowship between God and man. That is His image bearers. We're we're the only one. We're we're the only part of His creation that bear His image. And so there's special relationship there. God, God delights in all of His world. I mean, you go down through here and you'll see He creates and He says, it is good, it is good, it is good, it is good. But you get to the creation of man and He says, it's very good. I think probably for a couple reasons. One is because of what I just said. We're made in his image. So he's got a reflection of his glory, reflection of his character. But then also, it's, it's the completion of his creative work. That's the last stage. So it's very good. It's done now. But then you get to Genesis 3, and there's tragedy. Man sins. And that's significant. Uh, boy, that's the understatement of the year. But <clears throat> this fellowship that God has with man is now broken. So you get to Genesis 3. They've got the command. God, God tells them, gives them dominion over the garden. He tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And He essentially says, I've got one command for you uh, other than that, other than what you're supposed to do. One thou shalt not. Because you can have of everything in the garden, but one one thing you can't do is eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Satan comes in the form of a serpent and lies to them and says, look, if you you eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. And that's what he's worried about. And so, man falls in his quest to be like God. Isn't that ironic? Because he's created in the image of God. He is like God. He's the, only, the serpent's not like God. No other part of creation is like God. Man made an image of God. It wasn't good enough. So he sinned and he falls and now he's alienated from God. But God's again, he's going somewhere. He's going somewhere with all this. He has been since before creation, but we're we're picking it up here. <laughs> he's going somewhere with this, so Even in the midst of pronouncing the curses for their sin, he says in Genesis 3.15 to the woman, or to to the serpent rather, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So already God's talking about hope in the future through the seed of the woman. You're going to have offspring. That offspring, yes, the heel of the offspring is going to be bruised, but that offspring is going to crush the head of the offspring of the serpent. He's moving. I mean, he's going somewhere with this. And then, you just keep on going through the story. You get... And I'm I'm going to have to give you the really, really, really Reader's Digest condensed version in these few minutes. But you get a little further down the line, you get to Noah. And what do you got? Well, for one thing, you got sin. The thoughts and intents of man's heart, only evil continually in the world. And, And this relatively short period has already become corrupt and sin has not... Uh, you, men have not been able to get a handle on it. It's not like, well, okay, we messed up in the garden, now we're wised up and we can get it, get it right. No, it's, it's, it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. As the human race is multiplying, sin is multiplying too. And so judgment comes. And rightfully so, God is just. And He looks down and He sees the condition of the earth and... determines to judge the earth but in his grace he just determines to save Noah and his household Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and so the Lord tells Noah to build an ark and take his family a total of 8 souls put them in the ark all of the earth every living thing on the earth is going to be destroyed Uh, And I believe that, by the way. I think that's what the Bible teaches. I don't think it's a local flood. No survivors, nowhere on the earth, except for these eight that are in the ark. Everybody outside of the ark perishes. Everybody in the ark safe. Does that remind you of anything? That's what Jesus is saying in John 5. When it comes to the judgment day, everybody in Christ, safe. Everybody outside of Christ resurrected to judgment. Damnation. So, eight souls are saved. God could have wiped out the human race then. Certainly would have been just to do that, but he doesn't. He determines to save a remnant. And you keep on moving through the Old Testament and you get to Abraham. And God, God deals with Abraham in a fascinating way, a special way. Abraham is, is, is special. God calls him out of Ur the Chaldeans. what we know of today as Iraq. God calls Abraham out of there and Abraham goes in faith, he doesn't even know where he's going. He's just trusting. He's just following God. And you get over to Genesis 15, Genesis 17, and God makes a covenant with Abraham and He says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And through you, through your seed, going to bless all of the families of the earth. And we know, don't we, from Galatians 3, that that seed, that offspring that God is talking about in Genesis 12 is it's a reference to Jesus. He's the seed. Just like the seed of the woman. Now it's the seed of Abraham. He's the seed through whom the promises are going to be fulfilled. And all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. So God's God's moving. He's moving things in a certain direction. He's going somewhere with all this. You know, These aren't just isolated stories compiled. God's, God's doing something. there's a... Every little story, like the story of Adam and Eve, the story of Noah, the story of Abraham, yeah, they, they they've got their individual um, parts to them, but they're all part of an overarching meta narrative. What God's doing. So God tells Abraham, first of all, you're going to have a son. He's going to be special too, Isaac. He's the child of promise, right? God even calls him his only son. That's interesting, isn't it? Because he had already had a son, Ishmael. But Isaac was, was unique. Again, he was special. He was chosen. He was, he was, before he was born, chosen to fulfill a purpose. And God promised him to Abraham. And Abraham received that promise. And then while, the, while he was still a lad or a young man, God instructed Abraham to take him Sacrificing. So, Abraham was instructed to take his only son and sacrifice him. Do you see a picture there? Does that sound familiar? And Abraham, with the trust in God that he had, even tells his servants, look, the lad and I will return. We find out later from the book of Hebrews that he he believed that God, if, if if he had to, he'd raise him from the dead. I mean, if he had to go through with killing, God would raise him from the dead to fulfill his promise. Because Isaac was the promised child. Well, you probably, again, you know the story. He gets up there and rears his hand back to smite Isaac, and the Lord stops him. And remember the words of Abraham before they even left the camp, God will provide Himself a lamb. God will provide Himself a lamb. So he gets up there and that's exactly what happens. God stops him from sacrificing the child and provides a ram and a thicket, a substitute, a substitute sacrifice. And then, of course, there's Jacob one come, that comes to be known as Israel, father of the nation of Israel. Just like God had said to Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. And then he raises up this one special nation, a holy people to himself, the Hebrew race. And out of Jacob, well, there are a lot of examples you could cite. Um, Joseph always comes to my mind just because of his... Um, His integrity, he wasn't sinless, but but in the accounts that we have of what he did, it's it's flawless. There's no no account there of his sin. We know he wasn't sinless, but I'm just saying, he, he was a man of integrity. Pictured Christ in his suffering and in his exaltation. In his rejection by his brothers, in the eventual bowing down of his brothers to him, God's going somewhere with all this. I mean, it's, it's just it's, things are just moving on. You get the nation of Israel. You, you know, they 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 grow in the land of Egypt. They go in with some seventy souls. And, and, uh, you know, you hear different estimates about the number when they came out, but probably around a million or something like that when they came out of Egypt. And in that whole narrative, what a picture of salvation. Saved out of bondage, redeemed by the mighty hand of God. And you see, again, the sacrifice of Christ pictured in... The Passover lamb, the night that they are delivered from Egypt. And then the nation continues to grow. Eventually they want a king. And you see David, um, Saul first of course, and then David, a man after God's own heart. David is the greatest king in the history of Israel. But he too is going to have a seed. I mean that seed still comes it's the same seed, but it's, it, it hadn 't come yet, and it's still coming and God tells when he covenants with David says you 're going to have a son and i 'm going to be a father to him he 's going to be my son, and he 's going to rule in your place and there are three offices in particular in the Old Testament. I just mentioned one of them, king um, that, that um, were where, the offices where they would uh, Install them by anointing prophet, priest, and king, right? When, when they rightfully took those offices, they had to be anointed and the, represented You know, being anointed with the Holy Spirit. That is, being equipped and empowered by God to do what they were called to do, to fulfill their mission. And again, those, those things picture something. Once again, they're not the end in themselves. They're they're pointing forward. They're looking to something. David, as great as he was, and Solomon, as glorious as he was, are just shadows foreshadowing a greater reality. And all of the prophets, and some of them are great, no doubt. Think about Elijah and Elisha and all that they did. And of course, not just the miracles, that's what, it is, what we tend to think about. Floating axe heads, and raise, raising people from the dead, calling down fire from heaven. But the primary thing they were doing was speaking, thus saith the Lord. So they're, they're communicating God's will to His people. And the priests leading the people in worship and standing before them in intercession, going through all of the cleansing rituals and the, all of the, the required sacrifices on behalf of the people and on behalf of their self. And all of these offices, priest, prophet, king, Look to someone greater. A greater reality that was yet to come. In fact, Jesus told them in His day, there's a greater than Solomon here. (laughs) Uh, Oh, and there are a lot of prophecies that we could go through. I won't take time to do all of that. Uh, Specific prophecies that specifically look toward... You know the birth of Christ or the suffering of Christ, like Isaiah fifty-three, the, his death and resurrection, his his initial coming, you know the the announcement of John the Baptist and Isaiah forty and Micah uh, Malachi rather, on and on and on. But all of that, God's going somewhere in all of that. There's there's something that history is moving toward. There's there's continual. and and gradual unfolding, revelation, that is looking towards something. So in every area of the Old Testament, there's a testimony about Jesus. And we, in hindsight, boy, how blessed are we? Because now we know, I mean, Jesus has declared... You search the Scriptures, and these are they that testify of Me. So we know now the subject of the whole Old Testament is Christ. So when we read, we can look for Him in every corner. And He's there. He's there. It's pointing toward Him. That He's coming. And so, that's why Jesus said, They're one and the same. You don't believe Moses, you won't believe me. What he's saying is our testimony, our words, perfect unity. Moses spoke about me. I'm not saying anything that contradicts him. He was looking forward to me. The prophets, on the road to Emmaus, you know, Jesus talking to the disciples, he expounded to them everything that was written concerning him in Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms. All speaking about him. Now, just a a real quick little application for our day, because our situation is a little different. I'm not saying, you know, that this is so here. I'm not implying anything, but you definitely see this out in the world. With the Jews, and Jesus said, with the Jews, it was this. We believe in God. We believe in Moses. And what Jesus is saying, no, you don't, because you don't receive me. And all they did was testify about me. So if you really believed them, you'd believe in me. Now, just in, in our case, it's a little different. And this is why I, th- I think it, 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 it's not only so important to get the Scripture in people's hands, but to encourage people to read it. In our day, it's a little different. It's more like this. Well, I don't know that I'll... I don't know that I believe all the scripture. I don't know that all that's true. You know, that was written by so many different authors, it was written by men, you know, and so many different authors over so many years and copied through all the centuries and we don't know if they got it all right, but I believe in Jesus. And the danger there is in fact it's it's inevitable If you don't get your idea about God and about Christ from here, then you're just making something up. John Calvin said, our our minds are idle factories. Boy, that is so true. So our situation is a little different, but it's, it's nevertheless the same. If you don't believe this, you don't believe Jesus. If you believe Jesus, you believe this. Because, because what this does is testify about him. In fact, this is how we know who he is, who he claims to be, what he's done. I don't know. Some people say, well, I had an experience, you know, and I, well, <laughs> is it consistent with this? If it's not, discount it. This is the authority. This is, this is the bedrock. Everything else is. You know, shaky ground, sand. So if you believe the Scripture, you believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you believe the Scripture. The testimony is testimony of Him. And it's consistent with what He said and who He said He was. Boy, we're out of time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And Lord, thank You for uh, Brother Richard and so many uh, men who have been so diligent and determined to get Your Word into the hands of people who need it. And Lord, we do pray for that ministry and uh, ask that You continue to bless them as they continue to do Your will. Father, we, uh, we thank You for providing the means. And Lord, uh, we pray... Uh, in that ministry and and others who are reaching out to people around the globe who need to hear Your Word, who need the Gospel. Lord, we we pray, looking to You, asking, change hearts, grant salvation. Lord, in our our own lives, in our own spheres, Lord, we pray, open up opportunities so that we may... um, Have opportunities to share with people Your Word. Give us words in season so that we may speak as as we've been told to do, to speak as the oracles of God. Lord, so that we may speak grace to the hearers. Use us for Your honor and glory, we pray. And again, we thank You for bringing us here tonight. Thank You for Your Word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.